Hey friend, welcome to the Alive Living Podcast. My name is Sarah Raquel Gauthier, and I'm excited for our journey together. We are all spiritual beings on a spiritual journey, but sometimes we may feel like we're stuck and not fully living. The good news is, is that Jesus came so that you could have life and life abundantly. So let's stop sleepwalking and start living alive one conversation at a time. How do you live alive? We return to this question again. And what a difference a few days make, friends. I um, am in awe at the ways that we have seen so much happen on a national and international stage. We have um, Super Tuesday has come and gone. We have seen Joe Biden pull forward in the results of the elections, the primaries for the Democratic Party. We have seen the outbreak of the coronavirus just taking over our world and the implications of that. And maybe now more than ever, we've got to ask ourselves this question, how do I live alive? What does it look like for me to live alive in the midst of a world that seems as though everything is falling apart? And I believe that the Sermon on the Mount continues to have some insights for us. And so if you'll recall, we began a little bit of a journey through the Sermon on the Mount in our last time together. And one of the things that we talk about in the Sermon on the Mount is that it is meant to be read as a whole sermon. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is meant to be read as one entity. It builds on itself. It is a sermon that talks about the progress of our life as people of faith our progress of someone who is a child of God, who is seeking to follow Christ. The Sermon on the Mount offers us a journey into what that progress looks like. And as we talked about last week, it is a sermon that builds on itself. And so we can't just cherry pick certain pieces of it and begin to apply it because we need to look back and we need to see, okay, what are the heart checks that Jesus is helping me to understand? What are the frameworks that Jesus is helping me to begin to get a glimpse of so that I can live alive, so that I can experience this abundant life that Jesus offers me in the kingdom of heaven that is closer than we know? And so what I want to take some time to do uh, in this part two of this question of how do I live alive as we look at the second half of the Sermon on the Mount is to really focus on Matthew 6 and 7. Matthew 6 and 7 offer us some interesting insight about where do we put our security? What are our attachments? Where, what are the things that we are focusing on that we seek to put our security in and how those things are actually false securities? And so Jesus here is really giving us an example, uh, uh, illustrations of some of the false securities that we can put our hope in. Before we jump into any of the text, um, something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about is in, in, in the wake of the coronavirus, in the wake of what seems just like everything seems to be falling apart at the seams, where can I put my focus? 
What are the things that I need to make sure that I'm really focusing in on? And, and how can I begin to think about where I am secure in my own life? How can I not live out of a space of anxiety about what's to come? How can I both be aware of the, the very real dangers and the very real circumstances that we face as not just a nation, but as we, we face as a society, as a culture, as a world in this moment? Um, and what does it look like really to make sure that I'm aware, but also ensure that I'm not anxious? And I think Jesus has some things to say about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there are kind of three categories that I, I want to I take a look at as we approach the Sermon on the Mount today. And they are three different types of false securities that we have as humans. Three different types of false securities that we have. The first false security that we see in Matthew chapter 6 is around fame, this false security of fame. And Jesus begins Matthew chapter 6, this middle part of the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about how when you pray, don't pray as if you're trying to gain attention. He talks about when you fast, don't fast as though you're trying to gain attention. When you give, don't give with the intent to gain reputation. I think oftentimes what happens to us is even when we do good works, our hearts can become corrupt. Even when we are seeking to do the good, we talked about this idea of diokinuse and that the ancient philosophers thought of goodness as the things that I do. And if I do good, I will become good. And Jesus flips the script and he says, no, if you will become good by my righteousness, then you will be able to do good. But Jesus, right out of the gate in Matthew chapter 6, is instructing us and cautioning us, uh, cautioning us against the ways that our heart can still become corrupt even as we are doing good. So it's not that Jesus is saying don't give and don't pray and don't fast. In fact, in this Jewish society, the hearers of Jesus' declarations here would have known that giving, that fasting, that praying, these are essential. These are foundational practices in the life of somebody who is seeking to follow Christ. We give out of a place of, of deep compassion and recognizing that all that we have comes from God. We pray as a response to wanting to be in conversation and communication with God, who, with a God who wants to be in relationship with us. We fast out of a space of wanting to remember and prioritize the right order of things, abstaining from what might hold our delight so that we can reorder and refocus our lives on God. And so these actions or these practices of giving and fasting and praying in and of themselves, they are not bad, but it is the intent of the heart behind them that can cause them to become corrupt. And so Jesus would use this refrain of don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those who they give for a sense of fame. They give for a sense of reputation. And this is what the Pharisees were doing at the time. They were giving and they were praying and they were fasting to be seen. How often do we do this ourselves? We do things for the sake of being seen. We post on social media for the sake of being seen. We engage in certain actions and attitudes so that we can be seen. 
We live in such a consumeristic and image-driven culture where double taps and follows really matter, where appearances matter, where approval counts, where who co-signs you matters. And at the same time, we live in a culture where who cancels you matters. And who co-signs you or cancels you can make or break you. This is the culture that we live in. This is the society that we live in. We are looking for approval in all that we do. And, and this isn't necessarily something that I'm saying like, don't post on social media or don't put yourself out there. Yeah, put yourself out there, but check the intent of your heart. Are you doing good for the sake of fame? Are you doing good for the sake of approval or for the sake of being noticed? Consumerism has corrupted our culture because we seek approval, we seek, we desire for this image-driven, sensationalized piece. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, when I do the good that I long to do, who am I seeking approval from? Who are you looking for approval for when you do the good that you're being invited to do by God? It's interesting, one of the things that Jesus says in each of these three illustrations of these actions or these practices that we are, they're kind of a no-brainer for followers of Christ to do. He says, your father who is in secret will see you and he will reward you. When we engage in these practices of giving and prayer and fasting, are we seeking fame? Or are we seeking to honor God? important question that we have to ask ourselves um, because when we will put our security in fame and who is approving us and who is double tapping and who is following and who is co-signing us when we begin to 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 feed that culture and to feed that the images of reputation and fame it's a false security that Jesus is warning against because the reality is is that that will fall short seeking fame from one second to the next you could be co-signed by all of all the people that you're seeking to be co-signed by and then in the next moment you could be canceled who are you seeking approval from jesus is pointing beyond the action to the source of our actions he's pointing to our character And character is something that can be seen by our automatic and our natural responses. Character can be seen just like when you're speaking your native language or like driving. It's something that is so natural to you that you don't have to think about it. It is almost a secret thing. And that's what Jesus is pointing to when he talks about, you know, your father who sees the things done in secret, he will reward you. And so what is your natural response what is your automatic response to things? That's how you can begin to think about, am I, am I doing this practice? Am I doing this good for reputation or for fame? And is it becoming a false security that I am relying on more than I'm relying on God? Jesus continues on in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, and he enters into a, a section where is the, the second false security is around fortune fortune. And you can think about this, the accumulation of, of wealth and the accumulation of, of things. And I want to bring us in to a particular verse in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, we'll read together, verse 24. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. Jesus here is pointing out that our false security in fortune or our false security in wealth will not sustain us. We cannot both serve God and serve money. And part of the reason for that is the requirements of money and accumulation, the requirements of fortune are very different than the requirements of God. You cannot both serve God and the things of this earth because they have different goals. They have different points of reference for our actions. So if we are putting our security in fortune, there are, there's a different metric system. There's a, a, a different set of goals that securing ourselves in fortune asks of us than what God asks of us. And so we have to really ask ourselves the question, am I laying up treasures for myself here on earth? And in, in Matthew 6, it talks about where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. Jesus is reminding us that all of the accumulation of fortune that we could ever possess here on this earth is temporary, that it can be stolen once again in a moment, just like fame can be stolen from us in a moment, fortune can be taken away from us in a moment because it, it rusts, it gets destroyed. It's something that does not last. And so Jesus's invitation to us is here, you, you got to know you, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve fortune and you can't serve me because we have two different um, objectives. We have two different desires. And so if we put our security in fortune, it's destroyed. It gets destroyed. It will get eaten alive. And so Jesus says, here, I want you to invest yourself, your life in what God is doing, which cannot be lost. If you will lay up for yourself, he says, treasures in heaven, then you, will, you are investing in what is eternal and not in what is temporary. You are investing in what is everlasting and what goes on and on and on for all of eternity and not investing in something that is here today and gone tomorrow. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I investing myself in fortune that's here today and gone tomorrow? Or am I investing my life in what is eternal and what cannot be lost? The way to a live living is to understand that the greatest investment that you and I can make in our lives is an investment in what is eternal, in being with Jesus, in abiding and dwelling with Jesus and allowing him to be our Lord and master. And not just that, but co-laboring with Jesus to serve others tells us in the Old Testament that we are the treasured possession of God. We are his treasured possessions. And so the great, God's greatest creation is his treasured possession. And so the greatest thing that we can do is invest in other people, co-laboring with Jesus to serve others. But when we put our security in fortune, it becomes a false security. And what, it end, what ends up happening to us, and it goes on later in that section to talk about anxiousness. There's a connection between placing our security in fortune and anxiousness. Because if I value what passes away, fortune and money, if I put my security in these things, then my fate is fixed and my fate becomes anxiety. 
It's because nothing will be able to be changed. Everything is fixed. I will always be striving and straining to protect and secure and keep resources because they are finite and they are scarce. Because they are passing away, I will do everything in my power to strive and to hold fast and to hold tight to what's passing away because there's a scarcity. When we put our security in fortune, we are putting our security in something that is scarce. But when we put our security and we invest in eternal things, then we are putting our faith in what is abundant, in what is eternal, in what lasts, so that we can shift from a mindset that is a scarcity mindset to a mindset that is an abundant mindset, a mindset of growth and opportunity, a mindset where we know that God is the owner of all the riches and we have access to it all as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So that's the second false security. There's fame and then there's fortune. As we move into chapter seven, there's a third false security that I think Jesus puts his finger on. And the false security here is the false security of fear. Here we see the instruction of Jesus in chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your own brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is your, in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The third false security that we often put our dependence on is fear. And I think we're seeing that now, maybe more than ever, we are being so judgmental. I was in a coffee shop earlier today and someone sneezed and I, the, everybody in the coffee shop like looked at this person as if, as if they were going to infect them somehow. We are on edge all the time. We condemn and we judge people all the time. And these are, these are just outward appearances of the way that we judge people. But we all have these unconscious or conscious biases against people or things that are different from us. And we place our security on our fear of other people. I'm afraid of them, I don't understand them. They are unknown to me. And because we are so secure in our fear of difference, in our fear of the other, then we judge and we condemn. But when we condemn someone or we judge someone, basically what we're saying is we're saying, you are irredeemable. You are rejected, you are excluded. You cannot experience wholeness. I think one of the things that as followers of Christ, as students of Rabbi Jesus, that we need to hear Jesus instructing us here in this section is the importance of not judging someone or condemning someone to a place where they become irredeemable, where they cannot experience wholeness because that's what happens. And when someone is rejected based on fear, that grows into shame. And when shame grows, self-rejection grows and self-condemnation grows. Rejection and self-rejection, when we reject someone, we're touching on something that is core to them, some part of their identity, some part of their sense of who they are. And so when we reject someone through our condemnation, we 
forget almost as if we, we're all spiritual beings. And so people will not be able to recognize that they are spiritual beings created in the image of a good and loving God. And so they reject God. We condemn ideas that scare us. We condemn people who we don't understand because our security is in our fear and what, in what we can control. We cause this internalized hatred in other people. We, cor- we, we, we can't correct and we can't advise and we can't begin to look at people a- as though they are less than and we touch on something in their humanity when we discriminate against them or when we are hateful towards other people. Think maybe now more than ever what this world needs is sons and daughters of God that would be able to be the kind of people that do not condemn people, that do not reject people, that do not, are not judgmental of other people. Because if God could redeem you and me, how much more can he redeem those around us? But when we reject and when we condemn other people, based on pieces of them that we may not understand or that we might be fearful of, it creates this, this, this toxic environment where people are internalizing the, their sense of rejection or condemnation and feeling as though they are bad or they're irredeemable. I think so much about um, the elections that has been really perplexing to me as I follow them. You know, the reality of... Uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren being the two front runners as we kind of approached Super Tuesdays and approached the end and to see this uh, this influence all of a sudden of, of Joe Biden winning in, in many states. It was, it was unprecedented. This wasn't what was going to happen. And I, I every morning when I wake up after after there's been um, a primary election, I look and I I'm I'm in awe. But I think there's so much that's being revealed about how we see the other or how we see difference. I was talking to a friend of mine and we and she was sharing with me that one of the professors in her class was talking to her about the fact that um, many people, even though in their private spaces may have said, you know, we, we, we kind of, we like these ideas. We like these new ideas and the system is broken and the system needs to be replaced. There's this fear of socialism. There's this connection between socialism and communism and dates back to Cold War era. And so the majority of the people who are voting are in the voter blocker in the age range where they experienced the Cold War era. And so there's this fear of what happened during the Cold War. There's this fear of socialism. And so we have this rhetoric around what we are afraid of without fully understanding the implications of it. So we have to be very careful with how we reject people because I think what we're seeing right now is a rejection of ideas, a rejection of change, a rejection of the other. But wherever you fall on the political spectrum, we have to be so mindful of how we reject people based on our ideological and political differences and how we make people feel condemned or rejected or irredeemable based on our differences. There's got to be a way forward for those of us who are followers of Christ especially, where we can sit and have empathetic dialogue, seeking to understand, seeking to be curious about ourselves and our unconscious biases, and seeking to be curious about other people and their stories. If not, we're just putting our, our security in our fear 
instead of putting our security in our faith. And fear is a false security. Fear is a false security. Because if we'll continue to do this, we'll never get to the place of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is famously called the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, you also do for them, for this is the law and the prophets. We'll never be able to get to that place if we sit in a place of securing ourselves on our fear of the other, of the fear of the unknown, of the fear of people who may fall on different ideological spectrums than us, of the fear of people who may be a different race or ethnicity, a different sexuality, people who are different from us. If we put our security on fear, we'll never get to this place of being able to be the kind of humanity that sees the other with love. So what does all of this mean? We talk about these three false securities that we need to ask ourselves. Am I putting my dependency, am I attaching myself to these three things, to fame, to fortune, or to fear? Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this beautiful illustration. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. When we put our security in these false securities of fame, fortune, and fear, it's like we're building our lives on sand. We're building our lives on the things that shift. We're building our lives on things that are not secure. We're building our lives on false securities. But Jesus' whole point of this Sermon on the Mount and the progression of being a child of God, the progression of the spiritual formation of a son, of a daughter, of God, is like someone who builds their life on a rock. Of somebody who does the heart check of realizing, am I building myself on these false securities? false securities of fame, fortune, and fear, or am I building my life on the words of Jesus, the words that lead to life and life abundantly? How do I live alive? We live alive when we begin to become obedient to the one who leads us to life. And so I wonder, in these times, when the future looks pretty insecure, (laughs) And day after day, the news continues to come in and we see the ways that there's so much anxiety right now. There's so much fear. There's such a mindset of of scarcity. I I went to um, the store over the weekend. I went to Target over the weekend to get um, some other things. And I thought, oh, well, well, while I'm here, I'm just curious to check the hand sanitizer aisles. And and they're empty. The hand, hand sanitizer is gone. 
cleaning supplies are gone. We live in a time where there's so much anxiety. And I don't want to downplay the very real threat of this virus. Because it's important and we need to be aware. We need to be aware. We need to be conscious. We need to be mindful. We need to know what's going on. And at the same time, we need to not be anxious for anything. We don't need to be torn apart. In fact, if we're people who consider ourselves sons and daughters of God, we need to remember what Jesus tells us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that we are blessed and that we are entrusted to be light and salt in these times. And in order to be that light and salt, we've got to check ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves, what am I securing my life to? What am I attached to? Where am I finding my security? And are my f- am, am I attaching myself to false security like fame and fortune and fear? Because those things are like building our lives on sand. But Jesus offers us a better way forward. A better way to build our houses on the rocks as we are obedient to his word. As we are obedient and we trust that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. So I'd like to pray for us now. Um, And again, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the future will hold. But what I hope for us and what I challenge us as children of God is that we will be the kind of people who know that we are blessed because we've been touched by heaven and who can be salt and light to others, who can be instruments of hope and of peace and of love in these times or now more than ever heaven has an opportunity to break through. Let's pray. God, I recognize that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, that you are the creator and the designer of the heavens and the earth and all of humanity. God, we cry out to you and we ask that in these times of great uncertainty, of what the path forward looks like, God, I pray that you would be with us. That as your children, we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That as your children, we would build our house on you. You are the rock. You are the cornerstone. You are the living stone. You are the solid one. And your words are faithful. Though heaven and earth may pass away, the word of God stands forever. And so we claim that promise. And we also pray for those all over this world that are, are in a panic right now. We understand, Lord, that times are very, very, very precarious right now. We understand, Lord, that the future is not certain. But we also trust that you are with us. And we ask, God, that you would allow us to be the solution. As children of God, that you would allow us to be the solution to people's prayers. That as your people, we would show up in practical and prophetic ways that, that can impact lives, Lord. That you would give us, uh, you would allow us to be the embodiment of hope, the embodiment of love, the embodiment of compassion, just as you were, Jesus. That we would look to you, Jesus, and your example, and that we could be your hands and your feet into this world that is in such need pray your mercies would be new lord we turn to you we ask for healing healing of body healing of mind healing of soul lord that you would help us in these times and you would be with us as we continue to take one step in front of the next and we thank you god because in your word you give us the way to a live living 
you give us a better pathway forward. I pray that we would trust you and we would seek you in these times. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, friend. Thanks for walking with me on the journey today. Before you go, I want to invite you to do three easy things so that we can continue to walk together. First, subscribe to the podcast. Second, share the podcast with a friend. And third, head on over to my website, sarahrgautier.com, where you can download your free field guide with a practical exercise that will support you towards a live living. Let's continue building one another up to live alive, one conversation at a time.